Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, I'm getting married on July 29th. Send me present! Send me present too, because I'll be sad. Maybe a cat. Hi guys, welcome to this episode of Slaughter. We are a true crime podcast. We only do UK crimes, despite what people may or may not be saying. I think they used to do all over. No, we never did. They were slash and dash. And we sometimes say things that people think are funny. That's our vibe. So if you're into that, I'm glad you're here. You're in the right place. And if you're not into that, you may be pleased to hear that we're going to take a break. (laughs) (laughs) Don't panic. We're just going to have a little short break because one of us is getting married. Yeah, to be honest, it's. I thought we could keep going. Then I didn't realise planning a wedding would be so exhausting. And then I'm on honeymoon. So we're going to be gone until September. I'm sorry, guys. It's a long time. Getting that legal D. But <laughs> lawfully wedded D. Yeah. For four weeks. We need some time off. So, it's not going to be too long. We will definitely be back in September, raring to go. Loads of new cases for you to hear. As well as that, if you can't wait that long and you're just desperate for us, you can see our faces. <gasps> yeah, no photos, please. We're going to have a meetup in Birmingham, England. We're going to have a meetup in Birmingham on the 26th of August. It's at the Victoria Pub in Birmingham. Really close to the station, so it should be easily accessible for those of you that don't know it too well. Um, hopefully it's a nice central city for all those people who are in the UK or around about, so we're not favouring anybody. We like <laughs> you all equally. We're hoping to meet about 3pm. We've got the room for about three hours, and then who knows? Who knows? But if you are coming... We'd like to know rough numbers, so please do join us on the Facebook group and let us know through the event that you are going to be there. Yeah, I had a really awkward conversation with the manager of the pub saying, there could be five, there could be 200, how much will that cost? (laughs) So he said, well, so basically we've got a huge room and he's like, I'll put one table there (laughs) and if more people come, we can get more tables. So hopefully, if you let us know, we won't have to have any awkward times dragging (laughs) tables around because they realised you wanted to come. Yeah. Please come! (laughs) Please. Please come. 
I'm sure it'll be brilliant. It was just such an awkward thing to try and describe to someone who doesn't listen to podcasts because he was like, so who are you bringing? I was like, well, I don't know. He's like, but what are they like? They all like murder. That's literally the only thing I know about them. So if anything, the bar staff are very intrigued. If you wear one of our t-shirts, you also get a free gift. Yeah. So I'm going to look at... What someone posted this on the Facebook group, but I had already decided I was doing it, so I don't want them to think that I'm just rinsing their ideas every time because I have none of my own. Because I've saved a really good Wikipedia page, which is looking at basically all the people in the UK been put away from life, and I just scrolled on that and go, yeah. So we're back to murder. I know you had um, Elizabeth Fry last time, but back on track. So I'm looking at Joanna Denny. Oh, you're kidding! I literally started making notes on her no. this week and then changed my mind because I was like, oh, serial killers, I'll have to know so much about them. Shit, we nearly both did her. I watched I the documentary it. and everything. I will know all the things! Oh, shit, you'll know all of the things. I win. I didn't pay that much attention. I mostly used quite a lot of Love of Blood by Christopher Berry D. But... Berry D in the house. <laughs> Sounds like a drag name. It does. But... I don't know if I'd recommend it. Oh. It was very biased. He Is does... he going on about how she seduced the men, she's a slut, she just wanted to chop their dicks off and eat them for breakfast? Not really, but just a lot of negative language and, oh, she, you know, she's the word. Monster. Just, this crazed yeah, monster. Crazed monster. Monster's Stuff favorite. like that. So. Evil bitch. Yeah. I think it's probably in there. So, and I actually paid for this book this time as well. So, thanks Patreon. (laughs) You made it happen. So, Joanna was um, born in St Albans. Oh, fancy. You've been to St Albans? No, it's got a cathedral, hasn't it? It's very expensive. Uh, She was a very academic child. She read a lot of books. She did well at school. She had a good education. Her dad worked for i found differing accounts some people said he worked for bt some people said he was in security security for bt maybe don't hack these phone lines uh, or do hack these phone lines if you work for news of the world there were also differing accounts in terms of the mother as well some people said that she worked in a supermarket some people said she owned a shop so as a child, um, shared a bunk bed with her sister, got on really well with her. She was two years younger, called Maria. Um, she enjoyed playing dolls. She later became interested in hair and makeup. Quite a girly girl from a child. Uh, her parents were pretty strict, but they were fair, according to her sister. Um, she good, would say that. A good life. A nice life. Um, around her teens, Denny began to become more rebellious, and she began skipping lessons, which, you know, done it. Associating with older boys, yep, done it. And then ran off with a bloke five years older than her that she met in a local park. Didn't bit do, extra. Didn't do that. Yeah. Um, he said that she told her that he'd fallen out with her parents. Um, they were, so they literally ran away together in that she didn't come home that night. She was gone. They found them living near where she lived on some wasteland. And then eventually she went back home. So obviously they were just shacked up shitting in a hole denny began drinking taking drugs having sex and then she would show up to school quite high or drunk at 16 she moved out 
But there's differing reports on that as well. Some people said that she was kicked out and she moved in with John Trina, which was the same boy that she'd moved to the wasteland with. They moved to Luton and then later to Milton Keynes. Uh, Basically, the story that they said in terms of having to move was that they'd um, basically dobbed in a local drug dealer to the police and they had to move because he knew where they lived. So shortly after moving out, Denny became pregnant uh, around age 17. And John said that she was devastated. She'd never wanted a baby and she was just not happy about it. Uh, She told her parents if they wanted to see their grandchild, they would have to pay and see it. Which, to be fair, I don't think would stop my mum. She'd be like, yeah, fine. My mum was like, she'd be like, I'll be so angry if you have a teenage pregnancy. But if you do, I'm looking after it forever. (laughs) She would have loved it secretly. Uh, they didn't. They said no. So she still had the baby, even though she, she still, really didn't want it. She had the baby. She didn't really want it. And then the, her parents said, well, we're not going to pay to see it, so forget it. So oh, she they lost, did? Yeah. So she lost contact with her parents. Now, Denny and Trina weren't particularly happy together. They had a lot of fights. Denny would cheat on him with men and women. I mean, it's like a Jeremy Kyle show almost, isn't it? He'd have loved that. She'd disappear for days, then return home. She'd ask to be forgiven. John worked quite long hours. He was a security guard and Denny was just basically drinking and taking cocaine while he was off at work, which the author obviously loved. He eventually had enough and he just left and he took the daughter and he said, this is just a bad situation, I'm going. To be fair, you did pick a 17-year-old girl. Yeah, why are you surprised when suddenly she's not the grown-up mother I expected her to be? <laughs> but if you're going to go creeping around secondary schools, you're not going to expect <laughs> wife material. No. Sorry. She's not going to be Delia Smith, is she? Give her a chance. She's only getting a C at the minute. <laughs> Denny continued drinking. She got a job for a while digging vegetables at a local farm. But... I don't know why I found that particularly funny. <laughs> Digging vegetables and getting paid, not in money. In, in vegetables? No, in bottles of vodka. What? Must that it. wasn't a farm. No. That but... was just someone's window box. <laughs> just someone's garden, like, keep digging this hole long enough and I'll give you vodka. That's <laughs> Maybe it was up. a vodka farm. Is a vodka made from, like, potatoes? There you go. Cut out the middleman. Who needs money when you got free vodka? Nick That's a weird job. <laughs> Who, as well, you know when they say this, like, oh, I paid them in this. Like, someone's got to buy the vodka. Like, just give her the money instead. Like, it's not, like, the cheap option. Like, I'm just, well, I have all of this free vodka lying around. (laughs) Just give her the tenner. Yeah. So, Denny began stealing. I mean, no shit. She's got no money. Um, Yeah, she's got a shitload of potato water. Nothing else. Um, and, And doing sex work to fund her drug habit. Just quit the digging. Yeah. Like, well, I think she did pretty quick. I don't think she lasted that. You don't like. I've got to sell myself to supplement my potato digging <laughs> job. No, fuck that off. If you're not getting any money. During this time that she was away from John as well, she was taken to Peterborough City Hospital in 2012. And I think I don't know. I can't tell if she was sectioned against her will or she took herself in. But she's obviously in a real state. And here she was diagnosed with APD and OCD. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about APD. Yeah. Because people seem to like my little psychology bits. So we've got more. Now, APD... Blow that trumpet. There we go. Uh, APD is antisocial personality disorder. And symptoms include impulsive behaviour, 
a lack of concern for others, so not really feeling much empathy for them, difficulty forming relationships with others, maybe a lot of short-term relationships or just no relationships really, a lot of anger, blaming others for problems, and it's really rare, so in about 3% of men, but even rarer in women, about 1%. To be diagnosed with APD, you have to be over 18, but you have to have shown symptoms of the disorder before the age of 15. So they'd be looking for criminal record, kicked out of home, not really having many relationships, not really getting on with people at school, and then that would form the basis of the diagnosis. It's one of the most difficult disorders to treat. You can treat it with cognitive behavioural therapy, but really that's more anger management or managing problems you might have it's not really treating any of those symptoms other than anger or mentalize i haven't heard of this before mentalization based therapy and that's where you consider how your mental state affects your behavior but again it's focusing on the emotions rather than you, you can't teach someone empathy so you can't make them care i was gonna say it's not it's not curing them of it it's just yeah. getting them to recognize when those patterns of behaviour are occurring so they stop it. Yeah. Like, it's not, you won't stop feeling this way, but you no. need to notice when it's happening. But it, it's not very, it doesn't work very well. Um, drugs are sometimes used to treat symptoms. So, for example, anger, they might take certain drugs. Chill would, pills. Yeah. Um, there are links to criminal behaviour and um, reduced function in some parts of the brain. So, there is some evidence that you would have less activity, say, in the prefrontal cortex or in a certain hemisphere of the brain if you have APD. But the studies are a little bit loose in that they're more based on criminals versus non-criminals than people with APD versus non-APD. It's just this assumption that criminals have APD. So it's still a bit dodgy. So Denny and John made contact again after she came out of hospital And they got back together. Oh, God. Yeah. So they moved to Cambridge. Nothing bad happens in Cambridge. Cambridge rapist. Apart from him. Yeah. Uh, But he had that bag on his head that said rapist, so you knew it was coming. (laughs) So, Danny began to drink less, got pregnant again. God. Started drinking again. So she was just kind of... Coming out of this difficult time and then... Because if you really don't want kids, like, the compromise is, I'll have one with alcohol fetal syndrome. (laughs) Yay! But she didn't show much affection for the child. She wasn't really interested in the child. She began her pattern again of disappearing for long periods of time, having affairs with other people, and she got into quite a long-term relationship with a woman called Charmaine that she was seeing on the side. She began self-harming to a massive extent... Uh, really obviously like around her neck and her arms she must have been still really young though like even not even 20 or something by this point john reported that she would keep a well this is later on i want to report john stop fucking her like if you're that worried stop getting her pregnant like you could have done that you could have taken the child away don't be like well maybe a second one whoops (laughs) like john is my he's the real idiot of this i feel what he's just adding to her problems like number one you took her away from a family when she was 17 number two 
you got pregnant. Then you were like, okay, this is no good. I'm going to take the child away. Fine. You then come back after she's been released from hospital and be like, shall we have another one? Mm. Oh, no, I'll report you. He's like that kid in class. He's not. He pokes you, pokes you, pokes you. And then when you turn around and tell them to shut up, they go, miss, she told me to shut up. Fuck you, John. <laughs> she didn't report her at the time. Later on, when he was interviewed, he reported something that I'm saying happened at the time. Okay. Well, so <laughs> later on, he said that at this time, okay, I get you. She had a knife that she would keep in her boot, like crocodile Dundee style, like whip it out, and she began threatening him with it. Oh, and he thought, nope, and he took both the children and he left. Okay. Also around this time, Denny's sister came to reconnect with her. She'd gotten engaged, and she thought, I want my. I want to rub it in, <laughs> probably. And she wanted to get her sister involved in the wedding. So she knocked on the door, went to see her, really shocked at the state of her. She could see the self-harm. She could see she'd been taking loads of drugs. And she was really disturbed by it. And Denny apparently asked her for money and she refused. But then just disappeared. I that's I do kind of feel yeah, for Denny a little bit. Yeah, she knew, why isn't she helping her now? I feel like her family kind of went, yeah, you, you're not how we expected you to be so therefore we're not interested a little bit i don't think there was a lot of we love you no matter what going on no i think it was like oh and i know families where they've got someone you know who with you know drug and alcohol abuse problems like it can become a pattern and sometimes you get to the point where you feel like tough love is the only way but from what we've heard so far it doesn't seem like she's been bothering them and harassing them for money no. or keep being in their life. She's moved away a lot and you would think that they would have, yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like they got to their she end left. of their tether yet. Yeah, she left and they went fine. Yeah, we I do think... when you were at the wedding. Yeah. The stinking of potatoes. Yeah. So, I'm going to introduce you to a new character now. Oh. Gary John Stretch. Now, he was born in 1966. Is he fertile? Because I don't want him if he is. We don't want any more kids being ruined. No, not really. That's all right then. He was born in 1966 in Herefordshire and he suffered from giantism. He was massive. It was caused by a tumour in the pituitary gland. Age 20, he was seven foot. Wow. He got called Lurch at school. I mean, he would, wouldn't you? He wasn't actually originally named Stretch, but he changed his name because he was so tall. Wait, changed his first name? No, Gary John Stretch. Oh, shit. Listen to the words that I'm saying. <laughs> My theory is called Gary. <laughs> yeah, Gary Stretch. Seven foot three is massive, though. That, you can't even get through a doorway without crouching. Oh, no, of course not. That's awful. So There's plenty of careers that he could be killing it in, though. Painter and decorator. Painter and decorator. Shell stacking. Basketball. Demolition. He could be the queen. <laughs> And those are just off the top of my head. Like, I'm sure there's more. Wedding photographer. You get those high shots. Seagull catcher. He was quite low in intelligence um, and a very slow learner. He was in and out of jail so often that they built a custom extra large bed in a cell for him. And oh, just... shit. It was removable. So if he went to a different prison, they could chip it over there. So they put... They just thought it's worth the expense. He's back and forth so often. He was mostly convicted of stealing. He was quite anti-drugs, actually. He didn't like drugs. And he didn't really drink much. I mean, it would cost a fortune to get him drunk anyway. But 
He just I didn't can bother. see why he was kept getting caught all the time as a thief. Yeah. <laughs> like not very inconspicuous, is it? Yeah. I can't imagine he's very dainty about the house <laughs> that he's burglarizing. The, yeah, like you said, the most recognizable man. <laughs> yeah. That in a lineup. You're going to remember the seven-foot guy, aren't you? He had a child with a long-term girlfriend called Julie Gibbons, and she said that he was a really good dad, caring, not very responsible, but he liked the kid a lot. They stood up in 2004. So he was in and out of prison. He was accused at one point of being involved in the death of another inmate, but there wasn't enough evidence to convict him for that. But I think they said he was the lookout. So he right. kind of got drawn into it. Two people went down for it, but he he wasn't one of them. In 2010, he met Denny. Now, they were both on parole, and he moved in with her really quickly. And she said, it was nice. Like, they got on really well, but it was kind of awkward because he had to sleep diagonally across the bed, so she had to curl up in the fetal position. Denny saw an advert where accommodation was offered for released offenders, and she contacted the person who owned it, called Kevin Lee. That makes me think of, have you seen that video for, where there's that woman who's trying to sing a Mariah Carey song, but she doesn't speak English. And she sings, Kelly, a little devil doubtie. I love it. I do. So cute. Um, So Kevin Lee had a wife called Christina and they owned a lot of properties and they had two children. Denny told Kevin she had been in prison for murdering her father who had abused her. So right. she had this story where she was the martyr, really. Like she'd gone down for something that wasn't her fault and she was within her rights because he'd been awful to her. But obviously it was nonsense. She'd been stealing. Kevin Lee um, rented the room to Danny. That sounds ridiculous. If you want someone to rent a room, like, yeah, I'll take this, you know, murderer over a thief. Like, tell them the real story. What It seems like you'd tell that story because you wanted to intimidate someone. Mm. But it yeah. clearly worked, whatever yeah. the plan was. Now, so Danny and Stretch were living in this... I know, sound like a weird double act. <laughs> Danny and Stretch were living in the flat, and then she began shagging Kevin Lee. Oh, for fuck's sake. Right. Maybe that, that's obviously Kevin's thing, then. Well, to be honest... Oh, what? are you just a common, dirty thief? Not interested. Killed your dad? Get right up her. I don't know if this writer had mixed feelings about her, because it does seem every time there's a, a new male introduced, he says, and obviously they fell for uh, Denny's charms. And he seems really... She must have been charismatic in some way. I mean, unless she was just a woman who was hanging out with all these men and they thought, there's a woman, I'd like to have sex with that. I'm going to say, if she's now had a few years of being really down on her look, like obviously issues with alcohol and drugs... It's hard to assume that she's in control all of the time. I think... That, this is a man who's renting her a room. Yeah. He's the one in power at this yeah. point. I think she's a young woman who's hanging around with a lot of older men. I mean, obviously they're going to... I don't know. Maybe they just... They, it's just, oh, there's a young woman. I mean, I'm not saying that every time she had sex she was raped, but I'm just saying that there's a lot of people taking advantage of situations here. I think so. Kevin felt that he was able to explore a side of himself with Denny that he couldn't really with his wife, which was violent sex, cross-dressing. He did like the murder thing. I knew it. Yeah. There you go. He began an arrangement where he would give Denny free accommodation if her and Stretch would decorate properties for him. There you go. 
Stretch, she's using his long arms. What a team, and she's just wiping her vagina all over the floors. So they got they were getting free rent for doing up these properties. I mean, I don't know how skilled they were, but I don't know if they maybe just were... I've had a lot of rented properties. They were probably painted, but I don't think any of the rental flats that I had were painted by a professional. No. I think they were just slapping paint on the walls yeah. going, it's done! So, no, we're getting to the murder now. Okay. First one. Monday, 18th of March, 2013. Lucas Slaba Suzuki, a Polish immigrant living in Peterborough who enjoyed cards, music, and cocaine, met... What a heady mix. <laughs> you know? Met Denny in a shopping centre. Either was given or asked for her phone number, and they started sending sexy messages to each other that day. So, wow. He, I mean, the writer of this book seemed to imply... She went over, she was chatting him up, she gave him her number. But I don't know how he'd know that. I mean, it is quite fast moving. At this point, she must love it a little bit. Yeah. So it's he... easy to say no. Like, even if you swap numbers in the shopping centre, like, job done. She's got enough to be getting on with. Kevin's sat in a dress oh. at home waiting. <laughs> Stretches, he'll be finished painting the ceiling in a minute, ready for round two. Like... She's obviously making time for Lucas mm. to send sexy texts like. So, he, the next day Lucas visited Danny. And almost immediately after he stepped through the door, she grabbed a knife. She stabbed him in the heart with a three-inch lock knife. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I mean, no, no, I mean, I can't even see how you'd be enjoying that. She obviously just wanted to kill someone. Another fucker trying to shag me. I'll show you what. Stretch was actually in the house at the time now he said that he was asleep upstairs what did he do denny later said that he watched her commit the murder denny and stretch both dumped lucas's body in a green wheelie bin i mean you want to get rid of something that's where you put it isn't it denny then phoned kevin the landlord and told him a man had been killed and she said she needed money to buy a car to move the body and he gave her the money. Oh so my God. Yeah. So Stretch and Denny went to buy the car. The car was registered in Denny's name, although she had no driving license. But then Stretch insured it under some fake company name. And they both took the body to Thorny Dyke, which is a remote place near where Stretch grew up. Dumped it there. On with their life. So there's three people implicated in this murder, but she was the one committing it. Now, Kevin... Sorted Denny and Stretch with a new accommodation. They left that one with two other tenants of Kevin's. Now, Kevin wanted these men to leave. And I think what he thought was, we'll send these, this pair in. They'll be so unbearable. These other two will move out. So he right. just moved them into the same house with them. So Denny, Stretch and the two tenants called John Chapman and Leslie Layton lived in his house together. They would sit outside drinking, playing really loud music. So they started annoying the neighbours. Now, John Chapman didn't do this as much, really, and he was quite a nice older bloke. He had fallen on hard times, but he was quite quiet, quite clean, and quite tidy. So, Good Friday, 2013. So this was not that long after they'd already killed someone. John was asleep when Denny entered his room, stabbed him in five times in the chest and the neck. Uh, she later said she murdered him because he'd seen her in the bath. And she told him to leave, and he didn't. Right. So, doesn't want to be peeped on, I guess. But 
that's not obviously that's not a logical response that's maybe a response from someone who has got antisocial personality disorder and thinks this annoyed me therefore i'm gonna do this yeah later she blamed the other tenant for the murder leslie layton and said it was him but yeah we don't agree with that so she phoned stretch and she sang down the phone to him the britney spears song oops i did it again oh my god yeah i know Jesus. What a lol cake. <laughs> so, I wonder what his reaction was. Do you think he straight away was like, thought of murder? Or was he like, oh, she spilt a tin of paint? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder what his, like, what all the list of things he went through. I bet she made They're him both play both bloody some, hard to clean up, aren't Some they? weird guessing game afterwards. <laughs> so, Danny also told Leighton about the murder, this other tenant... He didn't give a shit. He'd been mates with this guy. He'd been living with him for a while. They'd been, like, drinking buddies. These are some weird circles that you can just tell anyone you live with and anyone you know, your landlord, anyone, about murders, and everyone's like, fine. Yeah. We'll just clean it up and move on with our lives. Very weird. He took a photo of it on his phone. Like, it's hard for... If she does have... APD. Yeah. If she does have that, it would be difficult for her to ever have any... Gain any perspective... Because everyone around her is sort of going along with what that personality yeah. disorder fits. Like, if she thinks that murder is a lo- a reasonable response and then everyone around is acting as if it is a reasonable response, <laughs> like, how is she ever going to get that sense of empathy? Oh, no. Like, it's not going to happen, is it? So, Stretch and Denny disposed of the body while Leighton went shopping. And when he returned, he found the two of them and they'd come up with a new plan back at the house. And they said... We can't tell the landlord about this. Once was, I mean... fine before. Well, he said one murder he was okay with. Two, he's going to lose his shit. It's in the contract. So the logical response... (laughs) Logical response is we're going to have to kill him as well. What? Apparently. So, Kevin had, at this point, told his wife that he'd been having an affair. uh, But he didn't say who... And I don't think she realised, but she had said to him, I don't like that, Denny. I don't think you should spend any time with her. He also told his wife that someone had been murdered at one of his properties. And she was like, well, just fool me once. <laughs> Shame on you. Me. I know. She was probably fine with it. Everyone else bloody Just is. as long as there's not another one. So the same day as John's murder... Kevin sent Denny an Easter card. Because obviously it's Good Friday. Who sends... Nobody sends Easter cards. Joe I've got the sends most Easter... religious parents. We've never <laughs> sent Easter cards. Joe who sends Easter cards? Someone who thinks the person that they're shagging is losing interest and is desperate to get some attention off them. That's, That's the it. equivalent of changing your profile picture on WhatsApp so that people notice you. Yeah. So, following that, she phoned him and said, come and meet me. So he thought, brilliant, just on the trick. He put on a sequins dress nice. and drove to meet her and... He arrived. Denny stabbed him five times in the chest. Denny and Stretch then put Kevin's body in the car they'd bought and dumped it in a ditch in Newborough. Friends of Kevin Lee phoned his wife, Christina, because they had seen his car leaving the property with something large in the back, but that wasn't a body that was in the other car. But they were suspicious um, he'd been gone for, I think, overnight by this point. So then they phoned her and she phoned the police. Kevin Lee's car was also driven away and they burned it. Right. The next day, a dog walker, Terry Walker, 
absolutely nice. name. Uh, he discovered the body of Kevin Lee in a ditch and it was wearing the dress that he'd been wearing, but it was pulled up showing his bum and they'd put an object in the anus. Obviously, just trying to leave it the most mortifying position. So police investigated his properties, including where Denny had been, and they discovered the blood of Lucas, and then in this new property, the blood of Kevin. They also found impressions from the shoes owned by Stretch and Denny, and they found blood of the victims on two more pairs of Stretch's shoes. I mean, he's, I mean they're going to be massive I'm going to say, you know they're his shoes. Yeah. And he's just traipsing around through the blood, it seems like. Now both Stretch and Denny were linked to the murders. Police also found the photo of John that Leighton had taken on his phone and text between Leighton, Stretch and Denny about murder. So he was linked as well. So they're looking for three people and some other bloke called Robert Moore, but I didn't want to write a bunch about him. He just comes in at the last minute. The police visited Leighton and he said he didn't know anything. Denny and Stretch drove off to Hertfordshire. On the way, their car was spotted via those number plate recognition things that you see on Haunted all the time, that programme that I love. And they were also seen on uh, CCTV at Stresham Services. So the police was starting to follow them. Denny and Stretch made it to Hereford. And here Denny got out the car and just started attacking a 63-year-old man in the street with a knife. What? He was called Robin Bereza. And she just, he she stabbed him once in the back of his shoulder. And then just started following him, trying to stab him again. And then she gave up because another car was coming the other way. So rather than lying low, she's just out for blood. I think she'd convinced herself. She's self-destruct now. Well, I think she knew she was going to get caught. And she just thought, this is my last chance to be honest. So she said to Stretch, find me another man to kill with a dog. I don't want to kill a woman. With a dog? (laughs) Yeah. With a dog. But she said, I don't want to kill a woman. I don't want to kill a child. Get me another man. So they just drove around. They came across John Rogers, who was 56, walking a lurcher. And she stabbed him in the back and the chest. He said that she showed no emotion. She stabbed him over 30 times in the chest. Now, both of these men survived these attacks. But she obviously just went for it. Do you think the fact that she said very specifically that she wanted, you know, a man, no women, no children, that it goes beyond the APD and that she's, you know, like you see with some serial killers, like where they're trying to, they're reenacting the same sort of murder again and again, because like symbolically they're trying to kill their mother or they're trying to kill a specific person. I think it's definitely possible I think she did make comments later on that she'd been abused, but there was just no evidence of it. Um, So there's definitely a possibility. Or it could just be that she's got these... I mean, she's just invented these morals for herself that this is okay to kill this kind of person, but it's not okay to kill this kind of person. And she's kind of just made her own moral code. She left the man in the road members of the public found john he was rushed to hospital and he survived um and they started the police were still training the car and they spotted it and they saw denny and they arrested her she was drunk she was on drugs now stretch drove off before they could arrest him but he was followed by officers in a bit of a high-speed chase 
and he was caught and he'd stopped the car and started running do you know like in those police chase programs that you see where they've got the helicopter above yeah. and you can see it all happening and he was caught in a field the writer had made a point of saying that he was gasping for air because he was no athlete Right, Barry D, let's see yeah. you jump a hedge. Police later found the bodies of John and Lucas in a ditch in Hereford. They'd been dumped in the same place. And Denny, Stretch and Leighton were accused of murder. Now, I mean, that's nearly the end of it, but last final bit, Denny kept a diary and she kept this... Brilliant. <laughs> Why? So she kept this while she was in prison and she was awaiting trial. During one of the cell tosses and looking through, they looked through her diary and they found there was an escape plot in her diary. And what she planned to do was get one of the guards, kill him, probably in the chest with a knife. Okay. And then cut off his finger and then use that. Oh, the fingerprint thing. Yeah, on the fingerprint thing to get out the door. As a result of finding this, they put her into solitary because they thought if she did get out, she's just going to go around murdering again, clearly. But she claimed that that was really psychologically damaging for her. I mean, she's pretty damaged already, but... Well, it doesn't help. No. But she said that it was inhumane. She was given a whole life order. She's never going to leave prison. She's in there for life now. Stretch was given life sentence with a minimum of 19 years. He's appealed that quite a few times. It's been ignored. But his argument is, I didn't actually kill anyone. You did a lot of helping, though. Yeah. A lot. It's a helpful guy. (laughs) Look, he's big. He could have stopped it after the first murder if he'd wanted to. He's he's a big guy. He's a little bit slow. He's complicit. He could have. He could have stopped it at one person being dead. That's true. Those other ones are on you, Stretch. He could have prevented those murders, and he didn't at all. And Leighton was found guilty of perverting the course of justice. So that's Joanna Denny. I don't know if that was interesting or not. But it's a good story. It's It's got a lot in it. It's got a dog walker. Everyone loves a dog walker. It's got a dog walker. It's got a giant. Yeah. It's got, you know, sex, blood, alcohol, card games. Yeah. Everything you could want. Everything that's going to be at the Slaughter Meetup on the 26th of August in Birmingham. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So I'm going to talk to you about a guy called Donald Merritt. Now this is a, an interesting story. In that, in 1927, he was tried in Edinburgh for the murder of his mother. And he did not get sentenced for it. 27 years later, he was then under suspicion, again, for the murder of his wife and his mother-in-law. Now, I've watched... uh, There's a documentary on it that's available on YouTube. I think it's called A Cold-Blooded Son, something along those lines. And... A lot of information from a book, They Died by a Gun, by Rupert Furneaux. But both sources, and then I've had a look online as well, but a lot of sources focus a lot on this first murder of his mother, whether he did or didn't do it. And then his wife and mother-in-law just seem to be an afterthought, like, yeah, and he killed them as well. So unfortunately, that's kind of the structure that my story is going to take today as well. But I have tried. Yeah. And if anyone has, like, another source that they know of or has a lot more detail on these second murders, I'd be interested to know because I don't quite understand why the whitewashing either, like why everyone's just gone, meh, they're dead. So, here it is. If See they, what you think. If that's the least interesting thing about his story that he killed his wife and mother-in-law, then this is going to be pretty fucking interesting. Donald Merritt, he had a fairly good early life. His mother was originally from Birkdale in Lancashire. But she had moved and she'd given birth to Donald, who she always called Donnie, in New Zealand in 1908. Good yeah. So his father and mother, they were both from wealthy families, but they'd met, because they'd met while they were on a cruise to Egypt. So in the 1800s, early 1900s, to be on a cruise to Egypt, this we're talking good money here. Yeah, they're packing. And so they were both bringing money to the marriage. His mother had her own independent means as well. So Donald's father worked in electrical engineering and so his work would take him all over the world, basically. And he went to work in Russia. So Donald's mother, Bertha, didn't really want him to be there. So he'd lived in Switzerland for a while, he lived in other places, and eventually, when he was 16, she took him back to England. So it says that his dad, John Merritt, then deserted the family, which is quite likely because he was never seen again. There were some reports of him having started a new life in India, but then other reports said that during the Russian Revolution, 1917 it would have been, that he just disappeared then, and there's no, his family didn't hear of him from that point on. They had no contact with him. But it's likely he used that as an excuse just to start a new life. So in 1924, Bertha and her son Donald arrived in England. So Bertha's now depending on herself. 
During World War One, she had taken a job with the Ministry of Food and had invented the Merit Self Cooker. Oh. So she was getting quite a bit of money from the royalties of that as well as her family income. Self cooker, not slow cooker. No, self cooker. So it cooks itself. Yeah. So basically what it is, it's like an insulated it just looks like a wooden box, but it's insulated with like sheets of metal and like other like, you know, the little fluffy insulation stuff. Yeah. So that you would cook your food halfway done in the oven, take it out, put it in the box, and it would trap in all of the heat so that it would finish off the cooking process. So it's a slow cooker. You plug a slow cooker in though. A slow cooker is using heat. So basically it's not it's not it's not using any energy. So right. during the war that was perfect because people were able to save on fuel because you used half the amount of like gas to cook because right. then you put it in this box it would trap in all of the heat and keep that cooking process going. Uh... Like burn to fade. Yeah. So quite a pretty nifty little thing. So again, Bertha was getting quite a bit of money for herself. So Don was a bright boy and at 16 he was sent to attend Malvern College in Worcestershire, which is a very prestigious school. But he wasn't very interested in becoming a fine British gentleman and he would consistently break the school rules, mostly by hooking up with all the local girls in the village. I mean, he was, he'd arrived, he was this well-travelled, he would have had a fabulous accent. Yeah. He was quite... I used to live in India. Yeah. Well, not New Zealand. New Zealand. Present. So he'd have been quite intriguing. And from the photographs, he was quite a, like, a big guy. Uh, He was basically my type. Yeah. (laughs) Big and bearded. Rugby player. Yeah. So, but he was eventually kicked out of the school because he was found in bed with one of the girls. <gasps> like, he was a player. He loved the ladies. It must have been the accent. They kicked him out of school for that. Did they kick her out of school? Well, he was 16 at school. Like, he shouldn't be getting... It's a boys' school as well. So he's got a girl from the local village, brought her oh. into the school, and has been found in bed with her by a teacher. I don't think it was the first case, because like I said he'd been out and carousing in the village yeah. anyway. It just wasn't setting a good example. But luckily, like I think Donald Merritt sort of was a guy who was born into exactly the right time for him, because this was now the start of the Roaring Twenties, and he was going to find that all of his pleasures were going to be easily accessible. Despite this, he was still able to get a place at Edinburgh University. That just shows... A little bit of money goes a long way. But to make sure that he didn't fuck up again, his mum was like, you can go to Edinburgh University, I want the best for you, but I'm moving to Edinburgh as well, and we're going to live in a flat together. Ah, that's brilliant. So they eventually, she rented a really nice house, and she would send him off in the morning and have him come home at night, so she would keep her eye on him. She was... I mean, you can do a lot of shagging in the day, though. Definitely. A lot of hours to squeeze in. When you're a student, day shagging's the like that's all there is, isn't it? My university course did not allow a time for day shagging, nine till four every day. What? <laughs> it was basically it was like they treat they treat it as if you were attending primary school. So you went to uni in the morning, you had a maths lesson, you had an English lesson, science and whatever in the afternoon. Oh. And then you went home. Like you were in little classrooms. But yeah. Yeah, but like you already had a maths <laughs> GCSE and an English like, 
What? Oh, yeah, I would just snooze. I was like, if any bitches here do not know how to add up the angles in a triangle, then they need to fuck off home right now. <laughs> I'm done with you. I was such a dick at uni for that exact reason. So, his mum had independent means. She was earning, she was having an income of about £700 a year. So, I think the, on the documentary they said it was about 15000 which isn't huge, but even then, there's still inflation yeah. on top of that. So... She would give him a small allowance, but she made sure that it was a very small allowance of 10 shillings a week, and she made him keep an account book so that if he, when he, she needed to know exactly what he'd spent, where he'd spent it. So So he's not buying condoms? No. (laughs) I mean, what, 1920s condoms is basically just a shopping bag. Oh, no. It's an empty haggis strapped to your dick, isn't it, I think? (laughs) So... She was trying her best to keep him in check. So he would leave each morning for classes and then return. But what she didn't know was that pretty much after the first couple of weeks, if ever, Donald didn't go anywhere near campus. Like, he didn't even... not Nothing. Not like, oh, I'll go for my lecture and then sod off. Like, he wasn't going to university. He was very capable. He was a bright guy. He was clever. Like, he could have done well. But he knew that as soon as he turned 21... He was going to inherit a fortune from his grandfather, Bertha's dad, who was like a wine merchant. He'd made quite a lot of money. And he wanted to live that lifestyle right away. He's like, I know I'm just going to be like a gentleman, yeah. like a playboy. What is the point in getting a degree? I mean, fair enough a little bit. If I knew I had a lot of money coming to me, I don't know if I'd be that motivated to study. But to not even show up at all, like, I mean, slack off, but to not even bother going. So, I mean, and that's a long time to fill. He's leaving every single morning and having to amuse himself for the entire day. At some point, you just want a warm room, surely. But he found one. So he'd go out on the town and he would just spend his money like water. In the evenings, he'd lock his come home and lock his bedroom door at night. And then he told his mum... That oh sometimes I sleepwalk, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a rope across the window to stop me falling out of the window if I'm sleepwalking at night. What the rope was actually for was so that he could put it down and climb out of yeah. his window and go out gallivanting. So where was he getting this money from then if it wasn't his mother? Good question, which I'll get to. Oh, okay. So... His favourite haunt was the Dunedin Palais de Dance. And you could basically pay the girls there sixpence for a dance, or you could book out the girls for like an hour or a couple of hours, basically to dance with you and keep you company. Obviously there was some sex involved too, but it was like a blurred line. So the employed women were officially called dance instructors. They've got to teach you all the latest moves, the Charleston and whatnot. Backwards dog. Oh. Is that one? I don't know, but I think they did a fair amount of... Reverse cowgirl. Yep. <laughs> so it's thought that he would pay to for these girls to accompany him throughout the whole day and sometimes paying girls for 24 hours a day company. Um, like I say, he was attractive. He was like the life and soul of the party. People... He was quite a popular guy. Although he was booking out these girls, like, people would flock to him. And he, he had, like, his tribe there. He found his people. Very much like, I imagine it, 
like a Toulouse-Lautrec at the Moulin Rouge sort of scenario, except without any of the talent. So obviously, like you say, 10 shillings is not going to cover that if it costs sixpence for a, a dance. Mm. So what he was doing was he was putting carbon paper in between his mother's checks books. So when she signed them, he was getting an impression of her signature. He was then going over this in pen onto new checks so he had an exact copy of her signature basically and he would steal checks from like the back of her checkbook so she wasn't noticing take them to the bank say oh I've come for my mum cashing them in and spending it on partying he would as well as the partying he used his mother's forged checks to buy a motorbike he had a girl, Betty Christie, who was one of his favourites at the Palais de Dance, and he would shower her with gifts, jewellery, opals and jade, as was very fashionable at the time. And he also bought an automatic pistol. So, by March 1926, Bertha's funds had been depleted, and she was actually overdrawn. <laughs> and she hadn't noticed till this point. No, because... Check your balance! Well, Donald made it his job to collect the post in the morning and bring it to his mother. So he'd been able to intercept any letters from the bank Mm. about his spending before she could get to them. However, Wednesday the 17th of March, the maid had arrived as, as usual in the morning and was clearing up breakfast. She noted that Bertha was sat at her writing desk... And Donald was on the other side of the room reading a a book. And that morning, Donald had not been fast enough to intercept the post. I mean, I'm surprised he ever got up early enough for the post, considering he's out drinking and dancing all day, then again in the night, and he's managing to get home to get the post in the morning. It's like, that's when you're young though, isn't it? You don't have a hangover the same. Yeah, I used to go out and then go to school hungover. Or I'd go to my Saturday job and I'd be like, oh. Yeah. So she'd actually received news that her bank account was now overdrawn. I mean, this is slightly important in that Donald would later say that they quarrelled about this, which they would have definitely quarrelled. But he's going to use as a defence that she was really incredibly devastated by this. Mm. But the account that was overdrawn was her income account this 700 pounds a year she had other money so she could easily have paid it it was only six pounds overdrawn and it wasn't her entire fortune so it wasn't as dramatic a situation possibly as donald would make out yeah which is slightly important to note so the maid was making up the fire in the kitchen and she heard a gunshot followed by a scream and the sound of a falling body So that was the maid, Rita Sutherland. That was her first version of the events. And as Judge Judy would say, the first time you told it was the time you remembered it the best. She then said that Donald came to her in the kitchen and said, my mother's just shot herself. And then she followed him into the room and saw Mrs. Merritt lying on the floor, chair tipped over and a bullet wound by her right ear. Now, Mrs. Merritt had managed to travel from England to New Zealand on boat during the 1800s. She had managed to survive eating meals that were cooked in essentially a wooden box. (laughs) And now it looked like she might be surviving a gunshot fired into her head at close range. She seems amazing. So Donald 
only called the police, but they arrived with some medical services and they took Bertha Merritt straight to hospital. Yeah. Now, Donald continued to say that his mother had killed herself. He said that we'd been arguing about the money and then next thing I knew, she had a gun to her own head. But as we know, the the situation wasn't so bad that she should have wanted to end it Mm. at that point. So, But the police were quick to accept it and then... Once Donald had told them that story, they were like, okay. So then they couldn't really agree whether the pistol at the scene had been found on the floor next to her open hand or whether it had been on the desk. Because they originally said it was on the desk, but then when we realised, oh, well, she's killed herself, they started to say, no, it must have been on the floor, and we picked it up and put it on the desk. Mm. While his mother fought for her life in the hospital, Donald didn't really even keep up the pretense of being a worried, dutiful son. He went straight back out and was spending his time at the Palais booking out the girls again. He also was spending more of her forged checks. He bought a second motorbike, this time with a sidecar on it. You don't need two motorbikes. You definitely don't need two. No. Attempted suicide was a criminal offence at the time. Is it still? No. So because it was a criminal offence, though, Bertha was kept in a ward specifically for people who had attempted suicide. That was a jolly ward. Yeah. And basically, on that ward, they they didn't really engage with the patients in the same way. They wouldn't discuss with her what had happened because they didn't want to talk to her about the fact that she tried to kill herself because they immediately assumed, you know, this is wrong. We don't want to discuss it. So she wasn't, she didn't understand what had gone on. She did eventually die. Oh. on april the 1st but she had but that's nearly a nearly a month a couple of weeks and she had managed to regain consciousness a few mm. times while in hospital so although the x-rays showed that the bullet was actually lodged behind her nose in the cavity all she was told by them was that oh you're here because you've had a little accident so she didn't know that she had a bullet in her head oh shit The last thing she remembered was that she was sitting and writing and then she said that a bang went off in her head like a pistol. And the doctor who was there said, well, was there not a pistol? And she was like, no, was there? Completely no recollection of what had happened. She later spoke to her sister, Mrs. Penn, and said, well, I know Donald was stood next to me and then I heard this bang. It's almost as if Donald shot me. I'm like, no fucking shit. (laughs) But the maid, Rita Sutherland, later, after Donald told his story, she then changed hers to say that she heard the shot, then ran into the living room straight away. Not that Donald had come to her and said, my mum shot herself, but that she ran in in time to see Mrs. Merritt fall from the chair and the gun fall from her hand. So either she's just confused or she's protecting him. I think most likely she's confused. I think everyone, Donald, like I say, was a charismatic boy, like attractive young guy, only 17, 18. People were ready to believe him. Yeah. So I think she was like, well, of course, when I heard a shot, I ran in. I think it just yeah got twisted along the way. So then this led the police to believe Donald as well when he said the reason he'd recently bought a gun and 50 cartridges was because they were planning to go abroad and he wanted it to protect his mother with. He said that his mum had found it and had kept it in her desk for safekeeping, which is why it was a gun. So once she was dead then, 
the matter of this just seemed to be closed. No yeah. further investigation needed. So his auntie and uncle, Mr. and Mrs. Penn, then became his legal guardian. But only less than two weeks after his mother's death, he seemed to be in great spirits. And he declared that he was leaving for London because he was going to consult Sherlock Holmes about the case. What, the fictional character Sherlock Holmes? Yes. He was like, that's what I'm going to do. So he went from... I'm travelling to America to meet Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. So he went from Edinburgh, heading for London in a taxi. That's going to cost Edinburgh taxis are expensive enough just to get around the city, but from Edinburgh in a taxi, he took two girls with him. (laughs) One of them was underage. So the police stopped them and brought the girl back, but the others carried on. Yeah, well, I guess they can't stop him. Donald then told this story that he, when he arrived back, he, his story was that he'd walked back from London to Edinburgh, <laughs> and that was his huge adventure. But for someone who you know There's clearly no likes the finer things in life, I don't think that's going to no happen. No way. That would take, what, weeks? Yeah. So then Edinburgh Uni refused to let him continue to be on roll. They were like, we know you're not showing up, you're doing all sorts of craziness, like, we don't want you. His guardians took him south to Buckinghamshire. However, once he was further south, the bank then began to discover the forged checks from Donald. And then this threw doubt onto his mother's suicide. So Donald was brought back to Edinburgh to stand trial in the February following her death, still only aged 19. Did you ever get to meet Sherlock Holmes? No. <laughs> All the signs were pointing to Donald. He had the motive that he wanted her money and that she'd found out about his forgeries and she was annoyed with him. He had the means for the gun and he'd also had this pattern of deception that he had with her. So the whole verdict was going to rest on whether or not they could prove the angle of the gunshot wound and whether or not there was residue to say that she'd done it herself or another person had done it. So they had experts speak for both the prosecution and the defence and both put forward quite solid arguments for why it could have been suicide or why it could have been murder. I mean, they talked about the fact that the angle she would have had to hold it at would mean that her arm would be right back behind her head, pointing this way. But then Donald said it was an accident, so then she would have been holding it in a weird position anyway. So the difference was that the defence had a guy called Spilsbury now, he was an expert who had spoken at the trials of Crippen, at Seddon, and he was extremely well respected. He... If you want to hear more about Crippen, my mother did it for Mother Daughter Slaughter on Patreon for $5 or more. She did another one this month and it's brilliant. Again. I haven't listened yet. Who's Jane she done? Dando. Oh, shit. Right, she's really good. I look forward to it. Sorry to interject. No, it's okay. So, yeah, so this guy who'd been involved in these really high-profile cases yeah. and had secured the convictions pretty much at these cases... They went with what he said, like he was, if he's saying it, his version must be right, but he was on the defence side. Donald didn't speak at his trial. And in the end, the jury, so they voted, five of the jury voted guilty, and ten of the guilty voted for not proven. Now, I spoke a little bit about this before when I had a Scottish case, that in Scottish law, they could have guilty, not guilty, and not proven, so that. If you say not proven, you're saying we think you could have done it, 
but the prosecution haven't done their job well enough, so they can be tried at a later date. Yeah. Whereas, obviously, if you go not guilty and acquit them, that's done then. They, yeah. You'd wait and need new evidence. So it kind of shows that the jury did all think he'd done it. They just really didn't have enough to say beyond reasonable doubt. Yeah. He was, however, sentenced to 12 months in prison for the forgery of the checks. Yeah. But when in prison, he was just boasting about how he'd avoided the sentence for this murder charge. And because he was quite well educated, he was given, like, the cushy jobs. And he just really had quite an okay time in there. And throughout his time in prison, a friend of his mother's, Mary Bonner, was corresponding with him and visiting with him. I think she sort of took it upon herself. To, like, he's still a, a teenager. He still needs a mother figure. And she was sort of taking it upon herself to look after him. And when he got out, she invited Donald to go and stay with her and her husband upon his release at their home in Hastings. Now, Mary Bonner had a 17-year-old daughter, Vera. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Is she in trouble? She's definitely in trouble. It was only about two weeks after he moved in that they had run away to get married. <gasps> uh, originally, they were struggling a bit. I mean, Donald had some money. Donald's grandfather then died, leaving him a fortune of £50,000. And so the couple were able to go and start afresh in Portsmouth. I mean, that was huge amounts of money at the time. Yeah. So they had a large country house. Surely her parents were probably a bit okay with it then, weren't they? Well, I don't think they were thrilled that he'd been coming to their home and immediately run away with her yeah. at such a young age but especially as he just, be like, he'd been in prison too my mum would be like rich <laughs> God. but yeah so they had a large one they had they bought a yacht and they turned the yacht into a an onboard casino so they had these huge parties and they were quite well known amongst like the rich and powerful in the area and everyone wanted to be invited to their parties on the yacht the couple then decided that they wanted to adopt some children because of his previous convictions would be an issue. The way around it was that Donald Merritt then changed his name to Robert Chesney. So it's not me. So basically, I mean, I assume you can't do this anymore, but they were then able to adopt two children. Like He was <laughs> like, that's it. Nobody that's shaking it off. There's no records for Robert Chesney. So <laughs> That's ridiculous. I mean... You could do that for so many things. You've just committed murder. I've got a new name now. Yep, wasn't me. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so as Robert, he began, obviously down in Portsmouth, it's a big naval town, it's a port. Um, He began mixing with a lot of naval men and he sort of fell in love with the lifestyle and the stories. He was really, you know, admiring of them. So he grew a huge, big sailor's beard. He pierced his ear to get the look. Did you get a little tattoo of an anchor? I don't know, but you can see why I was into him. And this then led him, obviously he doesn't really have any skills other than deception at this point, so this led him into smuggling. <laughs> World War II then broke out, and he joined the Navy proper. So he did quite well. I mean, he, he loved it, and he rose to the rank of um, Lieutenant Commander, and he would supply guns to North Africa. Oh, God. So, not the nicest. But the black market was literally made for a guy like Donald Robert. And, you know, he's inclined to forgery. He likes smuggling. Perfect. He was the guy to go to if you needed anything because he really didn't give a shit. He yeah. Would. 
He wasn't really amazing at it, though. And he serves prison sentences in France and England for smuggling-related offences. He then did... It's called... He, like, made a marriage settlement. So... He, it was like a life insurance policy and his wife would live off it now. Mm. But then if she died, all of them, the money would go back to him. I assume so that it wasn't shared. It's almost like it's not shared money between them. Like yeah. if one of them dies, it's not like it gets entailed away to her side of the family or anything. It's like you can have this money while you're alive, but when you're dead, it's mine. Yeah. Which sort of, it was... It was I'm not quite so sure. So if he has kids with someone else, his kids would get all the money, not yeah. split between his kids and her kids. Yeah, like it's his when she dies. So at the end of the war, although she's, it's implied that she remained true to him, still writing him letters, really loving, really affectionate, I don't think he was bothered. So at the end of the war, he stayed in Germany to run a barracks. And he continued to dis- exploit others. I mean, Germany was in such a state of ruin at the end of the war. People were really struggling, especially, obviously, in certain communist-controlled areas. They had nothing. And they were absolutely desperate and were trying to get... the selling and trading anything just to get food. And he was well up for that. Mm. Saw it as an opportunity. So, November 1945... Donald then met a lady named Gerda Schala, and she was escaping Russian soldiers and was seeking refuge at the barracks that he ran. So, new girl arrives, starts hooking up with her. And then they started living together on the barracks, sort of as like, you know, she was in his quarters and everything, which was completely against all the regulations that you would just have some girl moving in and Mm. being there. He didn't give a fuck. They stole a Porsche. And they went gallivanting around Europe, just going on holidays. Eventually, they caught up with them, and he was court-martialed and sent to Wormwood Scrubs. He only stayed there for four months. Like, you can do a lot of shit and get just four months. Yeah. And on his release, he asked Vera for a divorce. So he gave her a settlement of 8500 roughly. And Vera used this to set up a nursing home with her mother. I mean, Vera sounds absolutely delightful. She's an adorable person. Although it said it was a nursing home for, like, genteel people. So I don't think they wanted any riffraff there. It seems still quite an amiable relationship. Like, he would sometimes visit her when he was around. Mm. And, like, they'd go for drinks or dinner or something. Like, they didn't hate each other. I think he, I think he fell in love with Gerda. Yeah. Is the thing. But his crimes were now starting to catch up with him. He was basically never making an honest living. He was in trouble all over Europe at this point. He couldn't really travel as well as he wanted to because he was either wanted for a trial in those places or he was known as an undesirable person on the borders and they wouldn't let him in. And he needed more money at this point. Unless he had, unless he had some capital, he wasn't going to be able to get anywhere. For someone who's rich, who's doing a lot of dodgy dealing, like if he'd just lived a modest life from the beginning, he would have been fine. Exactly. So he's pretty much on the run, and his only source of money was with Vera. So one night, Donald came to the nursing home that Vera had set up in Ealing. It was February 1954. 
this point. And he asked Vera if he could have the eight and a half thousand back that he'd given her in the divorce settlement. Well, exactly. That's (laughs) straight away. She refused. No. So that night when all the residents were in bed, he came back to the home and there'd been a series of bath murders, I think around that sort of time where women had been drowned. Oh God. And his plan was to sort of copycat that and drown Vera in the bath and make it look like she'd accidentally done it when drunk. The next morning, Vera nor her mother appeared for breakfast, so the police were called. They arrived at the home and found Vera's room locked, so when they forced it open, she was drowned in the bath. They found then found her mother's body not too far away with the skull bashed in <gasps> from a coffee pot, and oh. she was strangled. God. So presumably her mother had arrived at the scene or seen Donald something and then that's where you'd had to smash her head in because you wouldn't do a nice quiet drowning or I don't think it is a nice quiet drowning. (laughs) I think you held her from the ankles, Sars. That could be a a death by accident but two deaths I'm going to be. I mean, with a coffee pot, it's obvious. Exactly. So I think he panicked. The mother had come across them. He just had to grab a coffee pot up because he hadn't come prepared for that. So Donald fled back to Germany. And like we said, I don't think this was his plan that he was prepared for. And that's he's not been violent. I mean, well, shit, he shot his mum, to be fair. He's been pretty shitty. He's always been horrible his whole life. You just think he's kind of hot. (laughs) He's been horrible his whole life. But... Something happened at this point where he'd done this double murder. I don't think it was in his plan. He had no cash. He was completely running out of options. And he went into some woodlands outside of Cologne and he shot himself in the head. Oh, shit. Or did he? Oh. I don't know. I'm I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Yeah, I probably did. One interesting thing, though, the police back in England, so they were still investigating this double murder at the nursing home and they did suspect him definitely they just needed to find him they knew that the mother mary bonner in her struggle had managed to claw at the arms of her attacker they'd obviously found things under her fingernails there were also fingerprints around so they needed to check if that was donald Merritt. so they contacted the police in germany who had his body and I don't know if it was a bit of post-war pettiness that they didn't want to cooperate. So rather than send the body back, they literally just chopped off his forearms oh. from the elbow and posted them back to England. Oh. Like, check his fingerprints then, if that's what you want. Yeah, so the the arms were then put in, uh, pickled in jars, and they are still now held in among the collections at the Black Museum, you know, the Crime Museum in London. We need to go there. We have to. I mean, it's not. it wasn't open to the public, and then they did do a public exhibition, and I haven't really looked into it to see how, if that closed or if they still have some things on are loan. We, are we not famous enough yet to get You can apply to go. Maybe we, maybe it's time to apply if we can go see it, because his arms are there. Yeah. Um, so he was just then buried in Germany. Gerda was his only mourner at the funeral, which just shows kind of what a they killed everyone else. shit bag he'd been, really. Yeah. So that's the story of Donald Merritt. Thank you. So if you enjoyed that, thank you for listening. And we will be back in September. So ready and raring to go. But please come back to us after the break. (laughs) Don't Don't just go, oh, forget it then.
If they're going to have a holiday, I'm going to forget about them. We'll be back. No. Yeah, we will be back. There's nothing changing. You can still talk to us on Twitter, at SlaughterThePodge. Yeah, you can still spread the word via social media. You can listen to all of our back catalogue. It's not going anywhere. We're not going to take that away. No. Definitely go to our Facebook group and for details of the Slaughter Meetup. Yeah. 26th of August. I'm so excited. 2017 in Birmingham. We will see you there. And if we don't, we understand you probably live too far away. If you don't, I feel like we need to set up some crazy Skype call situation. It's too much effort. It's too much effort. We don't know how to Skype. So bye. <laughs> bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.